In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. It seemed to me that the guys that were not as well prepared or did not train as much typically were in the back. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here with our co-host and producer, Dale Cover, along with some other good buddies. How you doing, Dale? I'm doing good, Jimmy. Jimmy, huh? My mom calls me Jimmy. I know, you've said that before on the podcast. And people who are my good friends call me Jimmy. <laughs> and my okay, ex-girlfriends call then. me Jimmy. <laughs> anyway, hey, I like being called Jimmy better than Jim, actually, so... I just like it because it rhymes Jimmy. with Jimmy the Body Ramos. Jimmy, 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 Jimmy yeah. Changa. I like it because it rhymes with Jimmy Changa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. I'm hungry. We should hit Tequila Grill for burrito after this. Mm, oh, baby. Mama. Anyway, hey, I'm excited about today's show. We got two guys in here that just uh, uh, walked 48 and a half miles with me. We did our second annual death ruck. And, uh, and one of these guys, he's never done it before. The other guy, it's his, it's his second time with me. And we're going to have a great time discussing this podcast and really dealing with the issue of doing hard things in life and doing things that challenge you in life. But before we get into that, man, you got a man word and a shout out? Yes. I actually have a reverse man word. So I wouldn't normally say this is a man word, but you need to deal with it. Okay, so um, what word is it? Come on, you got to guess. Tampon. You, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it? <laughs> a reverse man word. Well, you've been throwing this word around Don't already Don't quit this the morning. ruck. Yeah. Fear. Oh, yeah. I think that's a great man word. Explain yeah. it. You got to deal with your fears. And, and you and I were sitting at lunch the other day talking to some people about uh, people pack their fears. Yeah. And they were saying, well, no, this is why I'm packing this. I'm bringing this along. You go, well, yeah, yeah that's because it's a fear. You have a fear. And no matter how we like to uh, spin it or look at things, there's fears that cause us to do certain things. Well, and that's the problem with men. We don't like to talk about our fears. We like to hide them. But we still drag them around with us. We pack yeah. around fears of, you know, what if I'm not accepted? You get guys into a room discussing. I just read this in a book today written by Matt Lore that we're going to have on our show next week. And he talked, I call it a pissing contest. You get all these guys in a room and everybody's got to, you know, talk about how, how much they have here and how much they have here. And all that is is fear. 
that's fear manifesting itself in boasting. And a lot of these insecure guys would be the ones that brag the most. And so they carry this fear around all the time. And, and I think the best way to deal with fear is to put it on the table and to say, hey, man, I'm, 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 I'm scared to death right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, this is going to be a hard thing that I'm going to do. And I just need you to come alongside me and encourage me and support me instead of trying to be the big tough guy. And then you drop out because you can't hang with a fear. And I think that's really – in fact, they, they did an interview several years ago of 100 Medal of Honor winners. And they addressed the issue of fear, and every single one of them was deathly afraid when they charged that hill or, or, or took care of those buddies. But what they did is they responded positively or forward pushed thinking and in, pushed into their fears instead mm-hmm. of a lot of men, a lot of us who cower back and freeze, right? So they yeah. choose to fight instead of flight. And right. so uh, very, very good. Fear is a great topic. We should actually address that. When I was that. younger, I used to leave, when I worked in a, a photography studio, I'd walk out of the dark room and I, and or go into the dark room. When I'd walk in there, I was worried that guys were talking about me that were in the room still. And it always bothered me. And I'd leave another room and I constantly thought, oh, they're talking about me. Yeah. And I, w- I was so insecure in that. And it wasn't until I was later on, probably in my mid-30s, I finally realized, hey, I'm not even thinking about this anymore. But that used to really just—I struggled with that big time. Oh yeah, I fear leaving leftovers on the plate. I know you I might do. shrivel up and die. <laughs> so hey, man. I, I, speaking of fears, you know we had uh, eleven—well, actually twelve total—but eleven walkers on our second annual death ruck. And the word death, you throw that in there, and there's like this kind of oh fear element. And I've got two uh, friends in here in the room, and I want to introduce them to you guys today. The first guest is Justin Olson. He's a 33-year-old entrepreneur, real estate agent in McMinnville, Oregon. So how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Great to have you and your feet on the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and across from we've got uh, a good buddy of mine, Jacob Duke, a.k.a. Stone Feet. He is 33 years old, and he owns his own landscape company. How you doing, my man? Man, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Stone feet. Dude, that is literally... We're going to talk about those feet. Those feet are epic. The things that your feet can do... They're well calloused. <laughs> you have taught us many, many lessons, Bam Bam, or Fred Flintstone, or whatever we want to call you. I'd holy say Fred cow. Flintstone. Yep. Holy cow. I never did hear you give us a yubba dubba do, but that's okay. <laughs> I did a big Ric Flair woo right off the bat when I woke up. <laughs> Although you finished the ruck running, which you did look like Fred Flintstone there. Yeah, I did. And I, I was expecting that little stone I thought rig. I, was, and I it, thought I was going to wad up on you. You're coming right at me. I'm like, I'm not going to catch this guy. <laughs> That's 275 pounds of inertia crushing Well over 300 actually with the pack yeah on. that's that, true that could have gone from real good to real bad real very quick. fast <laughs> anyway oh man hey guys i want to just take a moment today and just talk uh, uh about the death ruck and and just have like a conversation about it what'd you learn and uh justin i know it was your first time mm-hmm. uh what is your like what is your gut level impression you showed up you, you didn't know anybody we had just i had never seen your face before mm-hmm. You, I, your prep. I don't know what your prep even was. I don't even know when you decided to do the ruck. Can you walk us through the process? Yeah. So I saw um, <clears throat> Jacob Duke did it last year. I was out of town, and uh, said, "Gosh, if you guys ever do that again, I would love to. I love to do it." Just because I thought the scenery, the hike, you know, a group of guys. I thought it'd be a, a fun thing to be a part of. Well, this year I ended up uh, being home, and uh, now I kind of needed to step up and, and go for it. Uh, I didn't start any kind of preparations until about two weeks prior. And uh, Jacob kind of helped me with what needed to go in the pack and uh, wait. And it wasn't until a week prior 
that he kind of really put me in check and said, hey, you know, you really need to monitor every little ounce and, you know, it's a, it's a long ruck and uh, you need to be prepared. And I was thinking, you know, this is, we're going for a walk. We're going for a walk. I'll be fine. Well, a few days prior, I started working on my feet, you know, reading, <clears throat> just reading online about how important your feet are uh, to take care of them and be prepped for what's about to happen. Um, so I would say three, four days prior, I really started uh, losing weight from my pack, getting like you were discussing fear earlier. You know, I got rid of things like a knife, a gun, uh, an airbed that was in there. I was able to eliminate about five pounds, five and a half pounds from the pack, and it made a huge difference. Um, but it was uh, it was extremely difficult for me. There was a lot of uh, a lot of times where I wasn't sure that my body was going to let yeah. me go any further. Yeah, well, so I want to backtrack a little bit and say that this this death ruck was inspired by Exo Mountain Gears Death Hike, and they have a podcast called the Hunt Back Country Podcast, and and those guys have done that, and their their ruck is their their death hike is is a lot different than ours. Their death hike is invitation only. Uh, the guys that they invite are what I would call world class hunters, mostly archery. These guys, uh, many of them make their living off of hunting gear and hunting shows and YouTube channels that, they, that they're involved with. And so these guys train year-round. Uh, they the passion Their job is hunting. That's their passion and their job. Where our ruck is different, we just kind of say, hey, we throw our stuff out there to the world and say, who wants to come? And so we've got you know guys that are bringing their buddies. We do have a death ruck team that plans the different logistical components, but we, just, we never know who's going to show up in the parking lot. Right. And so that's kind of how ours is different, and I like that, and and I don't like that, because <laughs> you never know what you're going to get, and one guy can really cause things to go south real fast. So, Jacob, how about you, man? Tell us about your preparations and your thoughts and how this is one of your favorite days of the year. My preparation is, is all the same. It's all, uh, you know, this year was directly based off of last year, and, and you know, just continuing on with the lawn maintenance and that kind of, I knew I was getting my steps in with that, and uh for me, it's a lot more mental than physical. Um, and a good friend of ours, Pat George, you know, last year when I was worried about going into it, he goes, you know, Jacob, I think you can physically do it. He goes, it's a mental game. If you mentally tell yourself, you can do it. So that's how I really went into it. I got a new pair of Asics the night before. Um, <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> I, I got my brand new pair of shoes the night before. And uh, threw out the old apple from last year, threw in a new six-pack of uh, candy bars in a mountain house, and, and it was time to do it, you know? So. Well, and last year, you showed up on the trail. You had you had went to Walmart the night before. Yep. You bought a pack. Bought was, a pack the night before. It was before. like big man with a little pack. It was squishy in your body. Brand new Asics, and I thought you were going to be done. I thought, because you're a big guy. What are you, 6'1", 275? What, what, how big uh, are you? Six foot, yeah, about 280. So. so you're a big dude already, but this, but you have an ace in the hole that none of us have. What is it? It's that my my feet are calloused and they do not uh, they don't get hurt. <laughs> well, it's that, and you are on your feet. Oh, I put how in, many miles a day are you? I put in thirty thousand, thirty five thousand steps a day, no problem. So, you know, and then like I said, just the mental thing. I'm always excited when I get there. I'm always excited to get this going. It's so nice to talk to everybody. You know going along um the only the only the only thing that i'd say i didn't show up prepared for was i did not have earplugs the first night and i camped right next to you and you snored from five minutes after you went to bed until you woke up so i only got like four True hours story. of sleep in day two was a struggle mentally and physically 
<laughs> I do that strategic. Yeah, that was that I, I was guess nice. I should bring a CPAP, but I don't own one. I prayed for Darby like five times, like every hour. I'm like, if this is bad for me, this is horrible for your son. Oh, that is so funny. Well, it's really interesting to me because you know, when you you hear of these, you know, 48 and a half miles and 8,000 feet of gain or whatever we did. That's a lot. People don't realize that. And even the Exo Mountain Gear guys were, were talking about how hard it is to walk on logging roads. Most of theirs is on single track and trails. But 99, well, all of ours, 100% of our ruck was on timber, timber roads, roads. And uh, that highly affects your feet. Uh, it highly affects your feet. So I just thought it was interesting because your prep last year, you did no training. But you work every day as a landscaper, and you're walking. How many miles a day does thirty thousand? I'm steps? not. I'm not sure what that goes to. I just try. It's and get, in the ten, like double digits. Yeah, I, I just try and get my steps in, so I don't. I've never click over on the mileage. So I mean, I think that we learned that last year that there is an element. Let's let's talk about this a little bit more. Let's talk about some of these elements that I think really played into this. Let's talk about our forward. These are all F words. Let's talk about forward thinking, preparation. What are some things that you saw that that guys failed in preparation or what are some things that you did you thought okay this was something that was really positive I mean, what are some things you look at the ruck you look at all of the participants and you think forward thinking what are, what are your thoughts about that i would say that there's <clears throat> maybe three big things uh one being your feet you need to have good preparation for your feet before you go out and that goes down from using the right kind of socks the right kind of shoes the right kind of fit um, using moleskin, things to help protect them. And I did it before we even left. Um, as w- and the second thing would be just training, just getting in lots and lots of walking and, and getting your body ready uh, for, again, what the pounding it's about to take. And then the mental game. The, the, probably the number one thing is the mental game because things are going to start to give out on your body and start to hurt and sore, and um, you're going to have pain, and you have to just kind of fight through it and push through it and and push on keep moving you know i had one mental break a little bit and i'm not going to tell you what it is until you share me did you have a mental do you have a moment in time where you had to really struggle mentally <laughs> well i'll go back at, the, at about the 10 mile mark i noticed some guys stopping to repair blisters and i had worn moleskin from the beginning and i thought oh, i didn't have any issues yet and i thought oh this is easy i'm gonna be fine and then at about 18 miles we took uh, a, an hour break and it was great. It felt. I laid down and I thought, "Oh, this is awesome." And when I stood up, it started to hit me. I mean, my calves, my ankles. It was like all at once. We had just come. Back, uh, we had just hit a pretty good downhill section, mm-hmm. and my knees were starting to hurt. And um, so that last, you know, the end of the first day, the last ten miles or so, were, was pretty hard on me. And when we sat down around the fire that evening, I mean, I couldn't walk ten feet. I mean, I, I, I really thought. I may need to rethink day two. Can I make it for day two or can I not? So I would say that night, when I sat down that night, I thought I, I just couldn't see it. There's no way. Everything was broken. Everything was hurting. Yeah. How can I wake up tomorrow and do this again? Well, that last that last eight miles on, the, on day one was an 8.5 or something mile climb in 80 degree weather. It was rough. And it actually broke. Two of our guys broke. Yep. They tapped out and uh, it was tough. So Jacob, did you have a mental... Uh, battle at all yeah i had a mental battle there in day two um and it was uh it was my own stupidity we'd got and i think it was just me trying to be that masculine male you know we got to that last what we thought was eight miles and ended up being the last 11 miles 
and uh, I quit drinking water. I thought, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna grit my teeth and make this happen. And it almost cost me because I got about, uh, I got about two miles away and started getting a little sick and whatnot. And I thought, oh, this, this could be it. I definitely, I definitely played that typical meal where I thought I could make it happen and I couldn't. About lost it there in the last two miles. But uh, fortunately, we hit some good downhill and uh, was slowed down a little bit and was able to finish it up but yeah there's definitely a mental game in that last two miles where uh i really should have thought about it really should have paced myself like the rest of the ruck uh but uh just got a little got a little silly on that and yeah i i think for me as well I, we hit you know i was tracking on my my uh gps i was tracking the ruck and so when we hit 10 miles i started doing a countdown 10 miles left so we'd done 35 at that point so I'm like 10 miles, nine miles. I'm kind of yelling out the countdown. Yep. And we got to about five miles because we were walking together, the three of us. And we started humping it. I mean, we were going at a pace. We were at 3.4 miles an hour before that. We, I bet we got up to 3.6 with 20-pound packs and thinking we got four miles left to go. Let's rock and roll. Let's get this thing done. We're on fairly flat ground. It's pretty pretty mellow. And uh, I got to one, one mile left. And I'm like, one mile left. You know, Let's run this thing. You know, We were actually joking about running it. And and you looked on a tree, and for those of you who don't know, know Oregon, uh, it, the timber companies when they make these logging roads, they'll number how far you are from the road. It's for log trucks going up and log trucks coming down to announce it on CBs so that they can pull off to the sides. But we saw when we were supposed to be one mile away, we saw three point five on the tree, and it, that that crushed my spirit. Yeah. That crushed me because I I. I had a mental break at that point. I didn't share it. But I, I could tell. I could see the back of your head turn a little red. The, the little, the little wiener, the little hot dog roll on yeah, my back of my yeah. head. I, I was at that point. I was, I was. It was, it was really mental, and I was struggling mentally. I was really, really angry, quite frankly. And I think what got me through it is we, Steve and our Steve, Justin, and I started talking about some of his business stuff and he just kind of was talking and it really was cathartic for me. I was able just to listen to him and not deal. And I had run out of water with about a mile left to go. Cause I'd planned to run out of my, my water at the very end. Well now I'm, so that was a mental thing for me as well. So, so let's talk about foot care as, as far as that, let's go back to feet then. So we talked about forward thinking a little bit. Well, as far, you know, when we showed up, I think the big thing with forward thinking to me is I showed up in the parking lot and there's a man in the parking lot on his hands and knees, it looked like a garage sale, and he was unwrapping stuff he had just bought the day before. And he had probably 10 or 15 pounds, too much weight in a pack that was too small. And I thought that was that's going to come back and bite this guy in the butt. And I think it did, actually. And if it wasn't for one of other ruckers, he would have been in real trouble uh, as far as helping him pack his pack. Because my mentality is you're a dude, suck it up. You know, If you're not going to prepare, you're going you're gonna to suck it up, you're going to hurt, and you're going to learn. You know, and mm -hmm. so we had. Thankfully, we had a, a a gal there who was our medic, who was like, "Yeah, I don't want to have to treat this guy, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to get ahead of the game and help him." And, and she really walked him through it, and so that was really good. So, so let's go back to feet, guys. So, what are so you had said you wrap your feet in moleskin. Mm -hmm. I I did something different this year that I've never done before. Last year, I wore I've worn liner socks my whole life, and last year. My liner socks must have been a little old because I got a blister instantly because of the liner socks. So this year I thought I trained all you know I trained all year without liner socks and I thought I'm gonna do something. But I knew I was I had some potential for blisters. I was gonna duct tape them. Then I thought moleskin, but I went down to the store and I saw something I'd never seen before. Band Aid makes a blister a pre blister band aid 
and it's kind of a clear, you guys saw those what I was wearing, mm-hmm. kind of a clear Band-Aid that's padded, and it goes over your potential hot spots, and that was a game changer for me. I, that, that was a game changer for me. I did get two little tiny blisters between my small toe and my, my, my you know, the next one, but no foot problems at all, and I love those things. What about you guys? What did you learn as far as foot care? <clears throat> so a few days before the ruck, uh, I, I can't call it training, but I sort of went on a treadmill and uh, increased it to about 12.5%, three and a half miles an hour, and did more of a test than anything. And uh, discovered that about 10 miles in, where my uh, sensitive spots were, I didn't even tie my shoes when I did this. Because I, when I go to the gym, I'm just lifting, so my shoes are usually loose. Um, so I discovered just from that day that I needed to, I started feeling some hot spots on my feet mm-hmm. uh, on a treadmill with no pack. And so I realized, okay, I might be, I might be in trouble. So just kind of researching, I discovered um, you need to stay away from cotton socks unless you have stone feet. And uh, <laughs> you, can't even, you can't even let, listen to Jacob over here. Yeah, you I'm trying to figure out what to say when he gets to a, me. He's a rule breaker. <laughs> His does not count. But uh, I went with like a polyester spandex blend sock, just one. Mm-hmm. And then I had moleskin that I prepped uh, before the hike even started. I just put it on the balls of my feet. That seemed to be my my sensitive areas. And they'd only last uh, maybe seven or eight miles before they'd start to move on me and I'd have to retape. Um, but they were, I would say they were a game changer for me. I mean, they prevented me from blistering up in spots that I think I would have. So I, I ran Solomon Quattro 4Ds and I love those boots. I love those boots. And on those timber roads, I felt like my foot feet would have got really beat up if it weren't for those boots. I'm older, you know, 20 years older than you guys. So mm-hmm. for me, if things go south, they go real south. Now, you went with the, the tennis a, shoe program. Did you Nike do that Air again? Uh, I don't know. I didn't blister, so that was yeah. a good thing. Um, I can't say that the bottoms of my feet hurt really bad. They were just uh, they were just sore and a constant aching. I don't know if I would do that again or, or not. Maybe get a thicker insole would be my only only concern now if we started doing a little more off-road actually you know through mm-hmm. some thick stuff i would need a, a better shoe i think for what we did i i, I did okay and I, I run super feet inserts <laughs> as well as the boots so that's something i do but jacob you're like an anomaly you you yeah. ran you pulled <laughs> i don't know how i'm gonna talk to you about this because but was... this is fun to listen to because there are guys out there who would prep like me but then they hear your story they're tempted just to do what you do but but that's not the thing to do you've got you're an anomaly tell us what you did so I went to I went to Bymart and bought a six pack of Wilson cotton socks. Uh, had a set for the first day, a set for the second day, and a set for overnight. And then uh, I ordered a pair of ASIC shoes and tried them on the night before. And uh, that's just I mean just for me it it really uh, I knew it wasn't going to be a weakness for me just because I got calloused up feet. I wear Romeos or muck boots when I'm mowing lawns. So uh, I mean they beat up your feet. You know last year I told you. The reason why I chose ASICs is because I thought, well, the softest, the softest point of contact can't be my feet. I can't have like a, a hardy boot, then all of a sudden have hard ground because softest point of contact is going to be my foot. It's going to get beat up. So I'd rather have my shoe get beat up than my foot. So I uh, went with the ASICs, and they did great again. They didn't let me down. So. <laughs> it's a commercial for ASICs. Oh, no, seriously, I, it's, it's unbelievable. I feel like Richard Petty talking about my race car. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just, it's so, we were laughing at him last year, and at the end of the year, we are like, what? 
what? And it's just, just those, your feet are just, you know, a lot of guys are, are like, they're working at a desk or working at a computer. And, you know, and then we go have to go work out afterwards, but your job is a workout. So you're working out, you're training your feet all year long. For me, the biggest fitness factor after watching you last year, I walked away going, fitness is not the key component. It's foot fitness. You have to train your feet for distance. And most guys train their feet for five to 10 miles. They don't train their feet for 48 miles in two days. And so the feet get beat up. And so what, what I learned from you last year, Jacob, I was not going to switch over to ASICs, never will. But what I did <laughs> learn was that but foot care is more important than almost than your fitness level because most people can walk for long ways. Mm-hmm. It's their feet and their joints that give out. Well, and the thing that we all learned was that uh, incline was hard, um, but decline is what beat you up. It yeah. really yes, did. for sure. Your, your joints were wadding up on the decline so much more than on the incline. I would say that the incline was, was harder on like the, the muscles. And then the decline was hard on the knees and the ankles. I mean, it was actually, like you said, the joints. Uh, that was the one that really took a toll on me was any of that downhill. Yeah, and there now there was now let me just say this because Jacob and I had some discussion about this on the ruck. There is a fitness element to this because the guys that tapped out tapped out on the climb in the heat. So the fitness, that element, you see that on the climb, but you get beat up on the downhill. That's where your joints get hammered, your hips, mm-hmm. your your ankles, your knees, you know, up on the climb you're getting a lot of hip flexor, uh, glutes, uh, especially quads. And so so what did, what did you guys see as far as fitness level among the group? And what would you do differently with your fitness level? I would say that that's that's probably correct. You know, going uphill if if you're fit, you're going to probably maintain close to your speed. You know, you're not going to slow down as much. The guys maybe that aren't fit are really going to slow down on the uphill part of it. Um, and just going forward, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to start training maybe two or three months in advance, you know, doing some kind yeah. of hikes once a week uh, where I would push it maybe, I don't know what would be the right distance, 15, 20 miles, somewhere in there, um, you know, once a week for two, three months before you go, just to prepare everything for it. Yeah, for sure. And Jacob, one of the things that I noticed among the group is last year we had some people spread over probably multiple miles. This year we said if you're more than a mile back, you're out. But that being said, there was a pace factor with the group. Would you would you say that pace factor had to do with fitness level, or training, or what would you attribute that to? I think we just we just made a go of it, and everybody kind of saw that some of the veterans were this is this is how fast you go to make it happen, and everybody. Uh, Everybody tried to kind of keep up accordingly, and we always had a veteran in the back um, kind of pushing everybody yeah. in the back and going, yeah, this is how fast we do the things that we do. You know, those trekking poles were awesome. Uh, those were – and remember, I made fun of you guys for them last year. I thought, oh, trekking poles, that's what you get when you live closer to Portland or whatnot. You know, that's like the <laughs> guy coming out of our City people, baby. The city people thing. And, yeah, those were a game changer. It would have been a big struggle without them. And uh, like I said, you know, just that downhill, that stability, that was uh, yeah. that was awesome. It seemed to me that when we you put a veteran in the back and it caused the the newer guys to speed up, but what it, it seemed to me that the guys that were n- not as well prepared or did not train as much typically were in the back uh, because that that you know, and I actually had a couple guys that were kind of unhappy about the pace, but. 
my my thought here, and maybe this is wrong thinking, my thought was, well, I've trained for this all year, and you haven't, and so I'm not going to sacrifice what I've trained and what I've done so beca- because of your ill-preparedness. And I know this doesn't sound like Mr. Compassion, but I put the time in and trained, and for them, I'm like, this is a learning lesson for you. Now, were you, Justin, you were the one of the only guys that didn't prepare and hung out with the pace we kept. But that was my mentality. I realize that's probably not the most compassionate way to, to be, but my thought was you're, you you showed up you showed up and and because of your apathy you hurt the group and you hurt the team. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses and I told Justin uh, going into it that the hardest thing for me is to be right behind somebody that's going three quarters of the pace that I need to be going at. It's that resisted step. It's yeah. not me being able to take that full step. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with you. If 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 you if your stamina is making you go at a certain pace and somebody else can't keep up, it just is what it is. But being resisted and having to be slowed down, that's hurting you, and you just can't you can't do that when you're at mile ten, mile twelve, and you're like, well, I still got thirty miles to go. I can't I can't create a, a weakness myself. You know, there's a on the physical side of it, you know, I would say, Jim, you and Jacob really kept the pace. You guys held the pace of the team, pulling everybody. You know, it kind of forced everybody back behind to kind of want to – you want to keep up. You yeah. want to stay with the group. Um, and that first day, I really just pushed trying to stay with you guys, really. And then day two, it became more of a issue where if, if I slowed down – everything was sore. Everything was hurting. And I wanted to slow down because I thought that that would help. But what I discovered was that it didn't. If I slowed down uh, one mile per hour, whatever it felt like, it actually made things worse. I needed now the second day to maintain that same pace to be able to coast through to the end. Well, at that first day, I was helping three guys up the mountain that were really, really struggling. And uh, I slowed my pace down to probably, ha- I don't know, how long did you wait for us to get up there? Because I would have been with you guys, but probably half an hour. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. And I found that that last day was very challenging for me because I had to get out of rhythm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we think of pace, we think of rhythm, and it's the same thing with life, right? Life is about developing routines, habits, and rhythms. You get out of rhythm, it hurts you. And so I was forced out of rhythm, which is, you know, and one of the guys I think prepared, I don't know how much he prepared, he was just having a rough day. He turned it around on day two, but uh, it gets you out of rhythm. And so, and I, I can see why the military, you know, the, you know, they train their guys to be all about the same level because you're depending on one another to maintain a certain rhythm and a pace. And so that, that, I, that was a real takeaway for me. Well, and mile to mile, Justin and I were together for quite a bit of the ruck and mile to mile, we, we would make a game plan. So where you got to be held back at, you know, I was with Darby and Justin I said, hey, let's take like a five-minute break here because you're really going to have to grit your teeth for this next hill. So you'd make a quick game plan. It's like, all right, let's just do this thing, and it's going to suck. It's going to suck real good, you know. <laughs> but we'll get to the top of this, and then we'll uh, then it's going to be downhill for a little bit. So just making those little micro yeah. game plans and going, this is what the next mile is going to need to be. Yeah, no one having it mapped out and knowing, hey, we're going to take a break here and hear from our sponsor. We'll be right back at you. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. 
Because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena, Jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of the field guide. It's Jim's 365-day bathroom book for men. It's the study of manly words in the Bible, illustrated with great stories. This is also a great resource for all our arena men. We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots-on-the-ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. Well, you know, you mentioned Darby, and that's my son. And so it was really cool to be with my son, even though we didn't hike the whole time. Just to do something hard with him and to get in the tent with him at night. And, you know, we'd been in the tent before we'd backpacked in on a mule deer hunt to 6,000. I think we were at, we gained, we were at like 8,000 feet in Oregon and we were caught in a snowstorm and it was brutal and miserable. And being there, being brutal and miserable and just having misery loving company, really cool to build into his life. But we had a real unique situation on this event. We had a father and son from Texas show up and, the father bought one of our Men in the Arena knives that's engraved with our definition of manhood on it. And we actually surprised the son and did a, a rite of passage ceremony a, after mile 26. And we're all beat up. None of us can barely walk. And we do this rite of passage ceremony. You guys didn't really know what was going on. You didn't know this young man. Both of you spoke into his life. Give me your perspective on this rite of passage ceremony from guys that had not experienced that before. I think it was... Uh very a big impact on on his life moving forward i mean he he seemed to be <clears throat> prepared for it you know he he looked into each and every person's eyes as they spoke and mm-hmm. he listened and you could tell that it was somebody that was thinking about his future when people were given uh maybe advice whether it be uh, about family or god or um just being strong you know moving forward i mean he really listened and it looked like it it meant something to him mm-hmm. you could tell at the end when then uh, father and son, they both broke down, and um, it was such. It was a very, very cool thing to be a part of. That's cool, man. Appreciate it. Jacob, how about you, man? It was a great, you know, the rite of passage was great for Trent. Um, on a bigger scale, it was a great reflection for everybody on their own because we all gave him our biggest fears and our, our biggest struggles, uh, you know, as men, and going, gosh, don't do this, and we really encourage you to go in this direction. So it was not only for Trent, it was for everybody. It was great self-reflection on on who we are and how we struggle and how we've overcame that. Um, it was great for us all just to kind of get together on that same mental level. And to hear the guys share some of their failures, like, this is something I did, don't do this. Yeah. And some of the guys got really emotional. They're talking to a young man they've never met before and getting really emotional. When, when you dig back into your history and try to pull something up, a lot of times that thing we pull up is something that we messed up on. Well, and, and you know, like I told him, I said, you know, if you go away from this taking all of our advice, I said, you're 10 times the man I was at your age because I, I can't tell you how many times I got great words of wisdom and just went in one ear and out the other, and now I look back and go, oh, man, those are great words of wisdom. I really wish I would have paid more attention when people would have said that. So now you have a daughter i have a daughter how old is she nine month old and then you've got a son and a daughter i've got a five-year-old five-year-old daughter six-year-old son and a three-month-old son okay and so you're still mate you're still making babies right jacob or are yeah. you guys done now one more 
Okay, so let's say you get a boy. Do you guys see this rite of passage as something that you would want to do with your sons or you plan on doing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I did that with my sons, and I think it's a game changer uh, to have other men speak in their lives. And And to kind of have that mark point, not that gray area where, yeah, you know, am I still a young man or am I a man? Uh, I think Trent's going to do great with it. You know, he was great to talk to, and like I said, he was really receptive of us. So, Well, you think about women. Women have a rite of passage. Right when they get their menstrual cycle, that that's kind of the initiation into womanhood. And in the ancient times, once that happened, that gal was getting married. These girls were getting married at 12, 13, 14 years old after they had their their first period. Where what w- what designates manhood for a, a young boy? Driver's license, losing his virginity, drinking his first beer, shooting his first buck, watching his first Chuck Norris movie. I mean, what is it? Yeah, there's, <laughs> you know a, what I'm there's a lot of gray there. Yeah, and so this what this does it eliminates the gray. And I just wish more guys did. I did something with my kids when they were 13 and when they were 18. And I just think there's important for us as men to have mile markers for our sons and then leave those markers with a memento. Here's a knife. It's engraved. You'll never forget it. And that knife could shave. That knife was sharp. Yeah. I pulled it out and just touched my wrist and shaved off all the hair. Did, I saw you looking at my arm first. Did, I was like, I could shave. I said, you might break me. the blade on that forest. Uh, I like, saw you look over at my arm with your knife. I'm like, there's no way he's going to shave my arm to prove his knife is sharp. Well, he, re- he remembered he didn't bring a weed eater. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was going to shave your face, but no, that never going to happen. So, Well, hey, you talked earlier about our fears and sharing our fears with Trent. You know, what are some things that you saw guys carry uh, up the, up on this rock and up the mountain? Did you see any guys carrying fears that hindered them? You know, weapons and comfort. Um, some guys carried a little bit, I think, too much was as far as, like, their tents and stuff like that when yeah. they were sleeping at night. You know, I went with the bare necessities. I needed to stay hydrated. I needed to sleep warm. And outside of that, you know, the food was good, not great, but uh, – making sure my pack stayed light because I'll tell you, my big fear was those shoulder straps of that pack and picking that thing up after the first break and all of a sudden having it rub. And that was my fear was just that extra weight. We've all carried a quarter of an elk up a hill, you know, and that's last thing you want to do is you lift that thing up and then you make a go of it. And I didn't want that to be my pack. So I saw guys pack maybe a little too much. Um, and not have those real simple goals of, I need to stay hydrated. I need to sleep warm at night. So, yeah. How about you, Justin? Uh, you know, I was very fortunate to have Jacob <laughs> kind of assist me with creating my pack. You know, when I had done it on my own, like I said, I was at least five pounds heavier, um, basically because I, you know, I did the same thing. I packed a knife, I packed a gun, I packed a flashlight, I packed an air mattress. You know, just like he said, you know, safety and comfort and things that you didn't have to have and maybe would have made the difference of me making it or not. And I know other guys. Uh, I saw other guys with some sort of air beds or pads or you know uh you know knives guns things like that that they didn't have to bring you know things that would have really saved them on their shoulders on their feet um especially going into day two when you're hurting and you're sore yeah and i it's funny when you when you pack your fears you tend to miss the things that are important like oh i forgot my toilet paper (laughs) oh I, you know, I, <clears throat> I brought potassium pills and I brought um, acetaminophen because I knew I'd be hurting. I knew I'd need potassium. And those are all gone by day one from guys who overpacked their packs with fears but didn't pack the essentials. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we need to think about. What are the essentials? The only thing I, I brought one thing, two things I didn't use. And the, that were, I had two pairs of liner socks just in case I didn't know what my feet were going to do. So that was fear. But I, that's all. Did you guys pack anything that you never used? 
just the life straw, you know, and we, yeah. we only, uh, I think we only had about three times where we were close enough to a Creek that I could have gone down and actually used it. But, uh, yeah. other than that, um, not packing big snacks, you know, packing like a uh, Jolly Ranchers, gums, high chews, you know, just small things, a little bit of sugar you can get any real quick. And, uh, mm. yeah, that was smart. Keeping that pack light. Cause that was, that was my biggest fear going in. This pack's going to be heavy. It's, it's going to wear on my shoulders and that's going to, you know, that's really going to end it for me. Well, you know, as far as the food goes, what I found was a game changer for me. And this is what I learned from the XO guys is I actually carried uh, like can't like that. What is that called? Kernel corn, candy corn. That little looks like you make teeth out of them when you're at Halloween. What is it called? Corn. Candy corn and some caramels and sunflower seeds. And I had gum. I had things that were going to give me simple sugars mm-hmm. in between the breaks. And that to me really helped. <clears throat> and I would tell guys this, don't ever carry a bladder of water. Carry a bladder of water plus plus your electrolytes, plus, I mean, I never drank pure water that whole trip. I just, unless I was my coffee in the morning, which I have to have my coffee, but um, I, I think that was another key ingredient is, is maintaining nutrition. You need to grab every calorie you can and, and protect yourself from in hydration every way you can. Now, we had a cool thing. We had a, a, a guy named Rich Thompson. He drove a, a kind of a trail car. Because we, because we our guys are not professional hunters, you know, we have a trail rig, and and uh, because we knew uh, where we were going, didn't have a lot of water. We actually had him carry some water, so that did help us as far as the rut goes. And he threw on some camp chairs for the rite of passage night, and we had a good time around a fire, and that was really cool. The second day, he wasn't there at all, though, and so you ran out of water, I ran out of water, and so packing your fear. So let's talk about this one. Let's talk about fellowship. You know, I, I thought about the word, the phrase, "misery loves company." You know, uh, Justin, I never knew you before this event. You didn't know me. You only knew Ju- you only knew Jacob. You know, Jacob last year. You really didn't know the group, and so it, talk us talk to us about how the fellowship or the friendships built from doing something hard together has impacted you over the last uh, year. And then and then Justin, how has that impacted you? How do you see that impacting you over the next? year let's say so let's let speak to jacob first because i know you made something you made a comment you haven't said it yet but you talked about this event as one of your two most important or favorite days of the year you want to walk us through that and why it's my second favorite day of the year is (laughs) is the first day of that ruck you meet new people you have the yeah you have the exact same struggle you're you're asking the exact same questions what's around the next corner you know, um, so we're all kind of that mental confidence booster in one another. And so you work your way up and back, you know, maybe I do better, uh, a little bit better on the hills, but on the flats, I'll, you know, I'll take a step back. So you're constantly talking to different people. Hey, how you doing? How's your feet doing? How are your joints doing? Things like that. So, you know, we're all working towards that same common goal. We all want everybody to make it up to camp that first night and, you know, work our way out. So, yeah, you meet people of all different walks of life, so I love it. What's your first favorite day of the year? Oh, Thanksgiving. So, yeah, hands down. <laughs> hands down. <laughs> well, it's, I'm just saying, so, when we, you know, people don't realize how important this ruck is for you. Yeah, it's it's right up there, close to Thanksgiving, but not not quite Thanksgiving. So. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, you, hey, man, you get it's, you're having a turkey lasagna or something instead of a, a real butterball type of thing. Yeah, so. it's, you, you can definitely tell. Um, when you're excited about two and a half servings of freeze-dried lasagna, when you're so excited for that, it's yeah. like, 
where is my life taking me? But, you know, I'll take- that second day, it was all about that lager burger. Gosh, you know, that was kind of the mesmerizing mirage in front of you. You're going, well, yeah, this is going to suck, but I'm going to have a burger and a beer tonight. I'm so an hour away from I'm a an burger. Hour away from it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I never look forward to chili mac and cheese. So, I mean, I look forward to that. And uh, Folgers crystals never taste so good in my life. And everything bagel. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know? man. So, so fun. So, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, like our relationship, really solidified on the ruck last year yep right yep and then that ruck team formed for this year yep and i think that there was a real camaraderie there do you think that suffering has anything to do with that oh yeah yeah definitely with our struggles and our encouragement and yeah you know and and anybody's time of weakness when everybody comes together you know uh you know even like when uh i think darby became part a real quick part of our our inner group and uh you know, when he was struggling, you know, a little bit with his knees, and we were talking about every 10, 15 minutes, you know, how's he doing? Is he looking all right? You know, I went back and kind of talked to him, and we, you know, worked kind of slowly worked through that process because it's not – I mean, it is individual, but it is a group thing. You yeah. want everybody to succeed. Yeah. You know? There's yeah, no and- winner or loser in it. We win as a team. Well, it concerned me when he mentioned his knee because that kid is tough. Yeah, I could tell and, he is. And when his knee – when he said his knee hurt, that would be a – tap out for many people mm-hmm. but he sucked it up somebody hooked him up i think justin you did you gave him some ibuprofen mm-hmm. or ryan did and ibuprofen. and he was he was feeling great and he and, and he carried a little bit heavier pack he carried the tent i carried the stove i win so, <laughs> <laughs> but he you know his whole deal was well dad my pack and body is 200 pounds here yours is 280 i'm like yeah yeah so, he, he had want some put- more stuff <laughs> right. He had to put up with your snoring the entire first night too. Yeah, that's like got to be another thirty pounds. That was horrible. <laughs> he was on an hour of sleep. Yeah. Oh man, he slept pretty good. He had earplugs. He did, yeah, right. He, he said he lost them at he, one in yeah. the morning. Well, didn't you say you were trying to pull them out of his ears? I was looking through the, with my flashlight on my phone for that one that was in the dirt. I'm like, anything's better than nothing. <laughs> hey, I'm here to serve, baby. Yeah. I'm here to make you stronger. Uh, so, Justin, what about you, man? What did you learn and gain from fellowship and friendship from this event? So this was you know, my first time doing this. And my really, this was probably the hardest thing I've ever physically and mentally done you know, together. So it was a, a really new experience for me. And going in, Jacob was the only person that I, you know, knew. Yeah. Um, so I, to start the day, just to start the hike, I walked, you know, with you guys up front. And then um, uh, throughout the day, as things began to go and I started feeling pain, you know, I'd start to slow down. And um, you find yourself kind of uh, finding similarities with other people and you start conversations like, hey, do your knees hurt? Because mine really hurt, you know. And, yeah. And now you start uh, creating this bond, this friendship with the, the guy you're walking next to, and, uh, you, you know, you learn a lot about each other. Um, and then as the pace changes and as people stop to fix blisters or whatever, you kind of, who you're conversating with changes. And, and what I found was the more that I got into conversations with the guys that we were hiking with, the easier it was. It was almost like I could kind of temporarily block out some of the pain if I was in a good conversation with the guys. Um, so it was just a, yeah, camaraderie was just a really good a good part of this trip. I mean, all the guys that I never knew before, but yet maybe I spoke to them for, we talked for three hours, you know? Yeah. Those are conversations I don't have with my family that for that length, you know? Yeah. Now you, so that's interesting that, because to me it was a tremendous challenge and it's hard on a level that I can't explain, but you said it was one of the most difficult mentally and physically challenging things you've ever done. Yep. And you're an athlete. I play basketball three days a week. I lift weights. I feel like I'm 
in decent shape, you know, I don't, I eat fairly healthy. Um, so like it said, I, you know, when this all started and Jacob was trying to prepare me for it, you know, I was just almost rolling my eyes like, come on, you know, we're going on a long walk. We're walking. We're going on a long he, walk. He literally can't look at me and go, yeah, I got to get in that good of shape to do this thing. Y- yeah, exactly. <laughs> and again, when we stopped for lunch that first day, about 18 miles in, it began to hit me and the test, the test started at that mark, you know, when when one thing goes out and you overcompensate by trying to lean a certain way or twist your foot a certain way to save, you know, on that thing that's hurting you, now it becomes a mental game of, can I push through this? Can I do this? You know, my body's not stopping. If I stopped, it's because I chose to. What was the most difficult thing for you mentally? Like, not what event, but what in your brain was the lie that was being spoken to you? That I needed to stop. I mean, everything in me kept telling me, like, something's going to tear. That would be like going back to fears. I actually thought at one point, like, okay, the pain is getting so bad. You know, I'm I'm as had as much protein as I could have. I've had plenty of water, mm-hmm. electrolytes. I'm out of things I know to do. And the mental game was getting tough because I couldn't block it out anymore. And so now it becomes, is something going to tear? Something going to give in my knee? Is something going to... I was almost looking for an excuse to stop, an excuse to get out of it. I mean, I really struggled you know, that day two, starting that day two and pushing through, I really did. I was, I was in a tough spot just trying to, to make it through it. It was just, it was all mental game on day two. So what about you, Jacob? Was there, what was the biggest mental struggle you had? Yeah, it was definitely on day two. And it was, uh, like I said, it was, it was there in that last few miles, getting my way to the end and, uh, accepting the fact that I, that I'd screwed up, that I hadn't properly hydrated myself and that I'd, uh, I completely um, left my game plan of, you know, every three to four miles making a chance to get that drink in, get those electrolytes in, get those crystallite things in, grabbing a couple Jolly Ranchers to keep my mouth nice. I mean, I completely abandoned that game plan, and then uh, we moved the finish line back three more miles, and I thought, (laughs) I lost this thing at the very end. Yeah, yeah. Just did the man thing. Yep. So besides earplugs, what would what would you bring? What would you bring besides earplugs? What would you bring extra next year? Is there one thing that you would bring different? Probably a sleeping pad. I ha- I haven't done that in two years now. Um, my tent's kind of dumpy, but it worked in a pinch. Yeah, I'd say I'd say definitely that one inch sleeping pad that everybody else had. You know, waking up right at the bat, and not being maybe as stiff. Uh, but other than that, no, everything everything was perfect. Is there one thing you brought that, that maybe was obscure that you would say was a game changer? Myself. <laughs> hey, that's hey, you showed up. No, baby. I, I I think I think it was uh I think it was the crew that the crew that was there. Uh and the people that were there. Everybody was positive. You know, and if they're if it, if the group was uh had some negative people in it or any any animosity that wasn't seen among most but seen among few no it was uh it was it was just that would have changed it by I me mean, it was it was just everybody was positive we all wanted everybody to win that is a true statement mm-hmm. so how about how about you justin what is one thing that you would bring uh maybe an obscure thing that you thought i'm glad i brought this that i didn't think i was going to think that but i'm glad i brought this and what is one thing that you would bring that you didn't bring uh I would say the thing that I did bring that I'm glad I did was the moleskin and then the socks. I mean, I literally bought those socks like a day or two before the trip. And I always wear Nike dry fit socks. So it was mm-hmm. just, it was not something that was 
part of the game plan until a night or two before, and that seemed to make a huge difference for me. Uh, next time, I will probably bring my uh, Dollar Tree air mattress and use that for my uh, my bed. I set my tent up on a stump, but I think that stump was about an inch or two underground, you know, so I didn't feel it when I was setting up. But when I laid down, I felt it. And so I was tossing and turning a lot through the night. Oh. It saved me about a pound and a half, so I left the mattress. And then all I had was a, a couch blanket. You know, I didn't bring any kind of sleeping bag or yeah. anything. I grabbed a fleece off the couch and because it was the lightest thing I had. I'd probably get something a little more, you know, like a camping pack or sleeping bag or whatever. Something that's going to be a little better use. Yeah, I, I think that's really good, man. I think, And then I think for me, I... The one thing I, I might bring next year that I, I didn't bring this year, I'm going to look into a thinner smart wool sock. I wore a long sleeve wool shirt that I loved. It kept me warm at night. It kept me hot, cool in the afternoon. I loved it. But I'll tell you the obscure thing that I brought that nobody else brought, and maybe it's because I'm older, is I brought a Gatorade bottle that I drank the whole way up, and it was my piss bottle at night. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I, there's nothing more annoying. I get out of bed once or twice a night to go pee, right? Because I'm 53 years old. Uh, I just roll over, piss bottle. You know, I had an unscrewed up moment one time while deer hunting. It turned into a disaster, but screw that thing on tight, and you don't have to get out of your tent. I just a couple of you guys mentioned getting up and going pee. And to me, that's a nightmare. I just it's, you're stick stepping on stuff. It's dark. Sometimes it's wet out there. I, I cramped up. But yeah, I cramped up, but I just started peeing, so I just had to grit my teeth. I didn't want to scream like a little girl and wake everybody up. But yeah, that was that was a bad minute, minute and a half right there. I'm so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm telling you, the pee bottle is the way to go. Anyway, and it's, it doesn't weigh anything. You just got to make sure you get one of those thicker. You know, you got to have the the big round yeah. lid deal yeah. to get you know take care of business. But uh, what what is something you're gonna do different next year? Next year, I'm gonna train. I mean, I actually ha I actually enjoyed this hike so much that, I, you know, this isn't something that I do very often. Um, and now it's something that I, I don't want to wait a year to do. So, you know, I'm yeah. actually going to look for things to do over the next, you know, especially this summer even. I'm going to look for places to go hiking and then uh, probably start looking at new gear, what things I can add to the pack mm -hmm. or take away that would be beneficial, uh, you know, in the, in the ruck. Because this is, I won't be doing anything like this throughout the year, but... Even doing some fall small five to ten mile hikes, I think would be, you know, a fun thing to get into. I mean, I just I really really enjoyed it. Small five to ten miles is not small, but once That's you do forty eight and a half, you go. <laughs> oh. sure. Well, I'd recommend to anybody listening to this podcast who's interested in doing something like this, I'd recommend going over to Hunt Back Country Podcast. Uh, Mark, <clears throat> buddy of mine, Mark Helsing has a show there with uh, Steve, the owner of Exo Mountain Gear, and uh, they make backpacks and they their whole podcast is about how to do this. And they've got some great information. And so, Jacob, what are you going to do different next year? Anything you have different plans? You know, I talked to you about this, I think, on day two. I'm going to make – I'm going to try and make all the food that I'm going to pack. Oh. And that's going to be different as opposed to doing mountain houses and, and doing Jolly Ranchers and stuff. Kind of researching, you know, what these guys that are extreme backpackers do as far as packing their own food, making their own food. It's just – it's it's one element that I'm going to change in all of it. Is, uh, Interesting. Yeah. A lot of guys are doing dehyd they're dehydrating their own food. Yeah, yeah. Dehydrating yeah. their fish, dehydrating their meat, dehydrating their vegetables and their fruits. It's just some, and they just add water. That's all. That's all Mountain House yeah, does. Yeah, that's that's one thing that I want to try next year is 
seal and mill it up and kind of do it on my own. Go, okay, this is all something I've either caught, killed, or grown. Well, I've got a vacuum pack. Let's maybe you and I get together and do that. I'd like to do something different as well. And it's cheaper. And I think you get, for me, what I learned is I need more protein than most guys. I'm a big guy. The carbs were great. I actually gained weight from this thing. I, I, I think I'm carrying five pounds of water weight <laughs> from all the sodium I put, took in Probably. and potassium. But uh, I, I'm surprised. I've, you know, it's really interesting. But um, I think I'd like to do that next year. One of the things I'd like to do next year as well that's different, I think I, I did the tent because my son was with me. And that was great. But I, I'll tell you what, in June, I'm a big fan of the hammock. I am a big fan of the hammock, and I didn't take the hammock. And for me, I'm a big fan because I'm a large man. You talk about the stump. When you're suspended, over, you don't have any back pressure. Uh, you have nothing going on. It's not super cold, so you don't have to worry about you know, freezing out there. But I think next year I'm going to go back to the hammock. I did that year one, and, and I'll tell you the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go down tomorrow, maybe today, and I'm going to go pick, pick up a Cedar Summit air pillow because I had a football injury in college, and, and my neck – is always a factor when I sleep and rolling up the down bag and putting it on my backpack and like a saddle and trying to make that a pillow. It, it just, I think it produces snoring. I'm not sure, but I think it might. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You literally <laughs> laying down. See the summer, baby. See the summer. I'm going to get that pillow. I think is, is a, cause you know, we don't realize how important sleep and recovery are. Yeah. It's huge. You know, we think we're so tired but but you, it's funny how exhausted we were. But most people didn't sleep well, and so I think there's a there's something to be said there for comfort, which for me would be the hammock and the pillow. And I think for the and I, Emily, we had one gal on this ruck. She was our medic basically, and she slept like a baby. But she weighed a hundred pounds, and and she's backpacked all of her life, and she's actually worked in the wilderness with teenagers for much of her uh, her career. So this was a no-brainer for her. She did no tent. No tent. Yeah, she's just an animal. But uh, just for the most of us, though, I don't think a lot of the guys slept well. Mm-mm. And you can't blame it all on me, sucker. That was... <laughs> <laughs> Next year, we'll tell people, bring your dang ear packs or stay 100 yards away from Ramos. No kidding. No kidding. I oh. have the hammock. I might have to try that next year. Oh, the hammock is... is and here's the other deal. When you're done, what are you doing? You're sitting around the camp. With these, with your hammock, you put the hammock down, you get it low to the ground. You can literally lay in your hammock and cook your meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do a lot of things that hammock. That I think uh, the tent... It's just tough to get really comfortable in the tent. Now, so they're making these air mattresses now that are real high-end mattresses that actually have four about four inches of air in between them that I think is really, really good. But um, for me, it was tough. I carried a foam mattress, and I carried my air mattress, and I still would not say I had a lot of mm-hmm. space in between. So I don't know. Anything else you guys want to say before we close out? Richard was amazing. Uh, gosh, special thanks to him for, for so much. I mean, gosh, that guy. Tell them about Richard. Richard. Uh, this is the beauty of being in an Oregon death ruck, gosh, right? Uh, well, I mean, just, you know, every few miles, that guy was there with a – you remember when we, we showed up at Milepost 5 and then the back of his F-350 had bananas and waters lined up for us. And, gosh, it was just – oh, it was so nice, you know, uh, Helping set up and break down camp for us uh, there at the end of day one. Having, uh, you know, firewood. We built the little fire there. Greeting us at the finish line with the little Debbies. I mean, <laughs> him and his dad both moving us into position right off the bat. You know, Dallas helping out with that. Yeah. 
it was just, gosh, it was great. It was just, you know, gave you that quick smile and, and rehydrated you a little bit. And it was water you didn't have to pack. You just had right there for you. Well, and that's the thing. We're in Oregon, so we're on, we're on roads. Now, now, we did not have a trail car for the last 22 miles. But the first 26 miles, we had a trail rig. Rich Thompson was the guy. Yep. His wife, Emily, was doing the ruck, and she was our medic. And uh, he had water in there because we're not professional hunters. You know, we're not these guys that, that train all year round for this. We And we have a range that's way – the XO guys, their range is way squished down to basically, you know, early 20s to late 30s, you know, where ours goes all the way into the 50s. And so uh, – and we had several in the mid to late 40s as well, and I was the one guy in the 50s. So we've got this range of people with experience and age, that, and the trail rig for us really is po- powerful and important. And Rich was just amazing – uh, honestly, he was such a huge part of this, just knowing that, and, and actually on these fire roads, even though we have Onyx maps and, and uh, Avenza to get us kind of through, it's nice just to have a rig there saying, hey, go right, go mm-hmm. left. And yep. and it was really nice to have him. So really special thanks to Rich. And I know some guys listening may say, oh, wait, you had a trail car? Yeah, we had a trail car. <laughs> go out and walk 48 and a half miles, then pop off. <laughs> you know, before you talk smack. <laughs> so just shut up about it because, I mean, that's what, yeah, we had one. Yeah. You know, and so I, I don't, I have no problem saying that either because this is a, this was a rough run, baby. So, hey guys, thanks so much for coming on our show. But before we leave, we always leave these guys with the boots on the ground action item. We want them to respond to the podcast and what they've heard. And guys, here's the deal: do something hard. Plan sometime in the next year to do something hard. Maybe it's a warrior dash. Maybe you join us next year. It's It'll probably be the last weekend in June or this third weekend in June to do the death ruck with us. Maybe you start a ruck in your own town. I've got a, we got a good friend of ours, Don Minter, in the Arizona area who does extreme hikes. He does rim to rim of the Grand Canyon, which I really want to do that. I think it's 26 miles one way and back. It's like 52. You know, So there are a lot of groups out there doing these extreme things. Do something extreme. Uh, to and push your body, push your mind, push your spirit to do something hard so that you can be the man of God and you can be the best version of the man that God has called you to be. Guys, uh, did you know that the Men in Arena is a nonprofit, crowdfunded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version? Because of a large group of generous champions like you, we're able to freely offer this podcast. All of our resources to missionaries and men in third world nations, our discussion forums, and many, many other things for free. You can find out more about how to support this great ministry at meninarena.org. Until next time, feel the wet sand of the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the day game. Get dirty. Ruck it up. Grind it out. And be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. 
What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.